Okay, so we're going to be in 1 Samuel 30, 16 through 20. Let me just preface this. Uh, we had a revival last week, uh, three weeks together with three different, I mean, three days together with three different churches. And um, I think it was either second or first or second night, maybe the second or the third night. Um, he, he looked at me and he prophesied over me that they were going to come. You know, how many of y'all know that we did this, we got to prepare the room for their coming? He didn't know anything about that. He said, they're coming. They're going to come by train, I mean, by plane. They're going to come by cars, but they're going to come. And I knew what he was talking about. You know, uh, God's going to move, and we're going to see some incredible things. Um, and I've always wanted to go, but it looks like God says, no, you just stay where you're at. I'm going to to you. So when I say to you, I don't mean just to me. I'm talking about to, to us. God's going to do something incredible here. And so uh, with that in mind, the second day he says, <laughs> I'm not sure if it was that day or the next day, he said, they're coming. I'm telling you, they're coming. Okay, so with that in mind, the Lord had given me a message, 1 Samuel 30, 16 through 20, and, um, and I believe it's the word for the house. And when he had brought him down, uh, talking about uh, David had found a spy that had been left to die, and uh, the background, his, we'll get to here in a minute, but he, this spy told him where the enemy was. There they were, spread out over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. And uh, just a little thing here, I had a thought that uh, the enemy thought he could have your daughters and your sons, but I'm telling you prophetically, we're going to recover all. Just a little bit of background. David and his men were fugitives fugitives from the present king of Israel, his father-in-law Saul. Uh, that's a father-in-law <laughs> that, that you don't want to have. But anyway, because of his having to continually run for his life, David and his contingent of warriors finally left the land of Israel and took shelter in the land of the Philistines. While David and his men went with the Philistines to fight a battle, they were ultimately rejected from while they were away. The city that they had been living in that had been given to them was raided by a band of Amalekite raiders, uh, and they took all their goods and all their family. In despair, whenever they came back, because of the enemy had taken not just all their spoil, but had taken their wives and their children, because of what the enemy had done, all of David's men, all the warriors that fought with him, turned on him, and they wanted to kill him. Thankfully, David strengthened himself in the Lord, sought the mind of God, and at God's direction found, uh, um, again, a, a spy that had been let go, a servant that had been let go, he found the camp of the enemy and won a great victory. Uh, and David and his men recovered not only what they had lost, but what the enemy had stolen from everybody else as well. And for the purpose of our study, what I want to bring out is how David and his men had fought in this battle and experienced a breakthrough. Can you say the word breakthrough with me? So here's the first point we want to look at. The breakthrough is to be shared 
by all the company. Now, why is that important? Because you've got to know what happened. In 1 Samuel 30, 21 through 31, the Bible says that David came to the 200 men who had been so weary they could not follow David. So kind of what was happening, there were 600 men in the company. Uh, 200 of them got so tired they had to stay. They couldn't go and fight. The 400 kept going, and they fought this victory that we just read about. When the 400 came back with all the spoil and all the wives and all the children, um, they came back to the 200 who had been so weary they couldn't follow David. And uh, these weary ones went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near, he greeted them. And then the Bible says, All the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we're not going to give them any of the spoil that we recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. But David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has prepared us and delivered us into our hand, the troop that came against us. For who will give you heed in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall be his part who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike." And so it was from that day forward, he made a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. So again, in pursuit of the enemy, many of the warriors who were part of the company became weary and could not finish the fight against the enemy, and so they dropped out of the fight. Hence, they stayed behind while the others pressed ahead and fought and won this great victory. And when those that won the battle came back to camp, and they brought the spoils of the victory. And the Bible says that within those warriors, it's interesting, they're warriors who won a great battle, but they're wicked and worthless is what the Bible described them because of what they wanted to do. They didn't want to share the breakthrough with the others who had not been able to finish the fight. These were the people of God, the warriors of God, and the Bible says among them they were, there were some wicked and worthless men. Why? Because they wanted to keep the victory of God for themselves. Now, why is that important? Why is that important to us? First of all, on, a, on, a, on just a simple level, your actions reflect your heart. Those, even though these were warriors and they won a great victory, the Bible calls them worthless and wicked because of how they wanted to steward the victory. It's not enough to fight. It's not enough to win the battle. But what do you do when the battle has been won? It's been said before that uh, the church can often do well during a time of battle, but where the church struggles most is after the victory when they've got to steward the prosperity that God brings them. So anyway, the second thing we want to look at is the importance of sharing what God is doing and will do with all those who are still going to want to participate in the battle, in, I mean, in the victory that has been won, even though they have not been able to follow through. They weren't there the whole time. And the ones who were want to hold that against them. Now I'm talking to you. We're the ones that are there. We're the ones who are going to experience the victory. When we experience the victory and the breakthrough, there are going to be others that are going to want to come. Many of them had been part of us before, and they left, but they're going to want to come back because they're going to hear about what God is doing. And it's not a test for them. It's a test for us. Reminds me of a parable in, Ma in, the, in the book of Matthew. It says, Matthew 21 through 16, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. 
And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and he went out about the third hour and saw others and said to them, and I'll kind of uh, condense here, you go into the vineyard, and I'll give you what is right. And he went out again in the sixth hour and the ninth hour and the eleventh hour, and he saw others standing idle and said, why are you standing here idle all day? They said, no one has hired us. He said, you go into the vineyard. And when evening had came, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages. Start with the last and then go down to the first. And so when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, the last ones to be hired, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed to themselves that they would receive more, and they likewise received a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only an hour. And, they, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Uh, so what that kind of, if I were going to put that into our text that we're saying, is that these, you're rewarding the ones who didn't finish the same as the ones who did. That ain't right, is what they were saying, the wicked and the worthless ones. But how many of you know that anything that God gives us is a blessing and the mercy of God? We don't deserve any of it. It's because of God's mercy and grace, and God is merciful and graceful, gracious to all. Jesus made it plain that in the kingdom, God is generous, and all, no matter when they came into the harvest field, would be free to share in the rewards and the victory. As for David, when his, when his men were complaining, he responded to these men that didn't want to share the spoils of the hard-fought victory with those who had grown weary um, by making an everlasting statute for all the people of God. And the statute was that from that day forward, um, um, as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. Everyone would share in the breakthrough against the enemies of God's people. Now, how does this apply to us? Well, I believe that we as a body are going to experience a greater breakthrough even than we've been experiencing already. There have been uh, many, as I said before, who have been a part of our company who may not have remained with us for one reason or another. Some of them may be valid, some of them may not be valid, but it doesn't matter. Maybe they just got weary. Maybe they just thought it was time to go somewhere else. When God moves, we can't take the attitude of the wicked and worthless men and try to refuse them the joy and the benefits of the victory which God will uh, make manifest in our midst. Whether or not we recognize it for a time, they had a part to play. And like the ones that stayed behind, the Lord is showing us that when he gives us a breakthrough, it's for everyone. There will be people that have been a part of our company that will want to come back and enjoy the fruits of the victory that God has given us. It's not for us to deny them, but for us to embrace them. Well, well, they didn't leave on good terms. Well, apparently they don't have the problem. Apparently you have the problem. If they're willing to come back, they're good with it. If we don't want them to come back, we must not be good with it. Why aren't we good with it? Because we haven't forgiven. We need to learn how to forgive, right? If you want to continue to experience the presence of God and the victory of God when he comes, it's going to require that our hearts be in right relationship with him and that our hearts must become more like him. And God is willing, he's not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to a saving knowledge of him. And there are many, many people. I have family members that just consistently just tax uh, not just God's grace, that's his, but my grace over and over and over again. And I get to a point where I say, that's enough. No, I'm, I'm cutting it off. I'm not going to do that. But the reality is I've got to open my heart again. I've got to be willing for God to use me, for God to, 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 to let me love them, no matter how much they've taxed me, that God is willing to, to love them. I've got to be willing to love them and be merciful to them and forgive and be gracious and open my heart. If God opens his heart, why shouldn't I do the same? I'm not saying you be unwise in how you steward things or whatever. I'm just talking about we can't close our hearts to anybody because out of the heart, the mouth Speaks above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the well springs of life. It's not for us to deny anyone, but for us to embrace them. In fact, the Lord told me in another prophetic word many years ago, He said, Many of those that offended or were offended by you will want to come back when by the gist of it when God begins to move. And really, then it's up to me to embrace them and to say, Hey, you're welcome back here. That's going to happen. I'm preparing you beforehand so you can prepare your heart because it's going to happen. <laughs> it might be you're thinking to yourself, I hope these people don't come back. They probably will. And what are you going to do? Because you don't just represent you. You represent the church. You represent the Lord. Amen? And like these like these men that stayed behind, David understood the heart of God. He said, everyone gets to share in this victory. Second point, the breakthrough was not only shared with those that stayed behind with the baggage that had been in the fight, but the breakthrough was to be shared with everyone in the land, First Samuel 30, 26 to 31. When David came to Ziklag, which is where the city was that had been where they had stayed, that they had ransacked. He sent some of the spoil that they recovered to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, here's a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To those who were in Bethel, uh, those who were in Ramoth, those who were in Jatir, those who were in Aurer, those who were in Sifmoth, those who were in Shtemoah, those are just names of cities, the, those who were in Rakal, those who were in the cities of the Jeremites, those who were in the cities of the Kenites, those who were in Horma, those who were in Korashan, those who were in Atak, those who were in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself, his men were accustomed to rove, David sent the spoils to them. So the second thing we learned from this passage that David did was that he shared from the spoils of victory with all the leaders of Judah. Now, you've got to remember, Judah is the land of Israel, the tribe of David from which he was presently banned from being able to live in because of false accusation and because of offense. Yet David didn't keep his victory to himself, but he gave away what he and the company had attained. The spoils of their victory became, uh, 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 the, became theirs when David shared what had been given to him. Now what does this say to us? Not only are we to share with others that hear what God is doing and come to us and come to our camp if they choose, but we are also to export what God is doing in our midst with the leaders of the tribes of Judah. The tribe of Judah is the tribe of praise, the people of praise, the rest of the body of Christ. We're not to hoard what God is doing in our midst, but we're to give it away. Not just give away the breakthroughs that we have, but the resources. 
Everything that comes in is not ours to hoard and to keep, but it's an opportunity to steward by giving away. It's only when you give away that you have the, that you're open to receive more. When you begin to hoard what God gives you, you're no longer passing away the bread and the fish that he gives you. There's no longer any multiplication. The supernatural multiplication happens as we give away what God has given to us. This is what David did, and this is what God would want to teach us to do as well. When we experience that breakthrough that is coming, Jesus, how many of y'all know, won a great victory at the cross of Calvary? Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them in it. This breakthrough became evident in and through the disciples on the day of Pentecost when the heavens were open over their camp. It wasn't open over everyone. It was open over the disciples who were in the upper room. They experienced a breakthrough, right? Acts 2, 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they, the ones that were in the upper room, were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Who was all filled? Not everyone in Jerusalem, those that were in that camp, those that were in the upper room. They got a breakthrough. The heavens were open. And then Peter got up and preached, and in Acts 2, 42 through 47, the Bible says that, that many were saved, and then, he, and then it says they continued steadfastly, who, that camp, in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So I want to liken that to the breakthrough, and in that breakthrough that they got with David, there were other people that were outside, but they were still part of the camp. They didn't finish the journey. They came in, and they got to experience the breakthrough. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They were in an upper room. They got a breakthrough. It spilled over. People heard. They came. They say, we want to be a part of that. And what did Peter do? He got up and he preached. He didn't say, no, you weren't here. I didn't see you here on day seven. I didn't see you here on day eight. I didn't see you here on day two. No. Did he do that? No. He gave away what God had given to him. And all those that were there that were listening, they had the opportunity. So what do we need to do to be, to be saved? Repent and be baptized in the, name of the Holy, in the name of Jesus, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible said, I don't know if it remembers, 3,000 or 5,000 were added to that church that day. So what happened? They didn't hoard it to themselves. But Jesus went on to say they were not to keep this breakthrough, uh, but to take it to all the peoples of the earth. Remember going to all the world and make disciples of every nation, make disciples of every 
ethnicity is really what that means, right? They struggle with this call, and throughout the book of Acts, we see God had to intervene to ensure that their breakthrough would become the breakthrough of others as well. When persecution broke out in the city of Jerusalem, uh, chiefly led by the Pharisee named Paul, the Jewish believers who stayed in the city finally began to leave. But they weren't leaving to fulfill the commandment. They were leaving to keep from dying. If we don't do it one way, God can get us to do it another way. His purposes will be. Remember in the, in, the, in, the, in the book of Genesis when God said, go, uh, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth? And remember after the flood, he told Noah the same thing, and you know what they did? They said, no, we don't want to do that. And they began to build a tower. You know what God did? God said, well, you won't do it on your own. I'm going to help you. He divided their languages, and when he divided their languages, they had to go. Now, he's doing the exact opposite here on the day of Pentecost. He gave them an unknown language, and that unknown language actually brought them together. They brought them together so that they on their own could go fulfill the, the commandment of the Lord, which is to go in all the world and make disciples of all nations. But they were still keeping it to themselves, so persecution broke out. When persecution broke out, they fled. It says in Acts 8, 4 through 8, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Why were they scattered? Because they were obeying God? No, they were scattered because they were running for their lives. But in their scattering, they were obeying the word by preaching the Lord, by preaching the gospel. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, and the multitudes with one accord he did the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. As their breakthrough was now reaching the area of Samaria, God was also leading people to share this breakthrough with the Gentiles as well. Because you've got to realize, Samaritans were, were called half-breeds. Really what they were called. They weren't completely Jewish. They were a mixture of Jewish and, and, and other uh, uh, ethnicities. And the, the Jewish people didn't want to go to them, but they did. But God didn't just want the Israelites to go to the Jews and the somewhat Jews. He wanted them to go to the Gentiles as well. And so he had to work through a guy named Peter by giving him the vision, you know, when he had the vision on the, on the roof and he, God, all these unclean things came down and God said, kill and eat. And he said, no, I'm not gonna, I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. And God said, what I've called clean, don't call unclean. And through that experience, God led him to a house of a man named Cornelius who was a, uh, I think he was a centurion in a certain city and he was a Gentile. He was a God-fearer, but he was a Gentile. He wasn't Jewish, no Jew in him, no Jewish in him at all. But he had a heart for the things of God. And he said, an angel came to him and sent for Peter. Peter didn't want to go, but God has a way of getting us to do what he wants to do. So Peter got there, and, and, and Cornelius and all his family and all his friends, all these Gentiles were there. And Jews were not allowed to go into Gentile homes, but Jesus, Peter did it because God showed him this is what you need to do. He got in there, opened his mouth, and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. <laughs> Mind change. Something totally flipped in his, in his brain, and he began to realize, hey, this is for everyone. While he was still speaking these words, jump down to verse 44, while he was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision, the Jews, who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles as well. For they, the Jews, heard them, the Gentiles, speak with other tongues and magnify God.
So eventually, God saved. Uh, so we see, we see the breakthrough. Not only did people come in that heard what was happening in the upper room and they spread that in the city, but now God was leading them to share the breakthrough with others as well. Eventually, God saved that man, Paul, who was persecuting the church and caused them to scatter. And Paul testifies of his mission to share his people's breakthrough with the whole world. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, I got a lot in here. I'm going to see if I can sum it up and make it all make sense to you. What did we learn from David today? First, God's going to move. And I'm, I'm telling you that prophetically, God's going to move in this house. When God moves, there will be those that previously fought with us but stop for some reason or another. They, they may be going to another church. They may not be going anywhere. But when they hear what God is doing, when they hear there's bread in the house, like Ruth who went down to Moab and they heard that God had visited his people again and there was bread once again in Jerusalem. When they hear there's bread in the house, they're so hungry they want it. Listen to what I'm saying. They're going to hear there's bread in the house. The presence of God is in the house. And when they hear, they're going to want to come back. So when they come back, we must embrace them. And I'm talking about people that have been here before. We must embrace them. Because they're part of, the, of whatever we're experiencing now, they were a part of it at some point. And God wants them to experience the breakthrough that we're experiencing. So our heart has to be right. We have to be willing to see them and love them. We can't see them come in and go sit over here. You say, why would you say that? Because I'm pretty sure some of you, if you don't deal with your hearts, that's what you're going to want to do. Maybe those have hurt you. When they left, and I want when when people have left. Listen, I'm human, just like you. When people have left, I got hurt. Why are you leaving? But you can't you can't live in that land of hurt. You can't do that. You the only one that hurts when you live in the land of hurt is the one that's living there, and that's you. They're not there. They're over there enjoying themselves. When they come back, they wonder why are you so hurt. No, we got to deal with that because they're going to come and we get to share the victory, right? We get to share the victory. And I'm telling you, that's the stance of the house. It's where, it's where I'm going. It's where the leaders are going. If you don't like that, you're going to have to get your heart right. Like Marty said, this is the way the bus is going. You have to choose whether you want to get on the bus or not. You don't get to choose where the bus goes. Well, who gets to choose? You? Well, I, I feel like I'm hearing from the Lord. And I, I just, I'm trying to go outside and say, where is the cloud going? That's where we're going. And if what I'm saying to you doesn't sound like God, let me know. But just because you disagree with it doesn't mean it's not God. But I feel the heartbeat of God in there because I see it in his word. Right? Well, you, you might say, I'm struggling. That's a good place to be. Struggle through to victory because it's going to happen, all right? Second, we are also to export what God is doing in our midst to the rest 
of the world, to the rest of the body and the rest of the world. We are not to hoard what God is doing in us, but to give it away. And I want to tell you something. It's a, it's a choice that you make to give away what God puts in your hands. It's very easy to get to a place where you say, I need to build bigger barns and bigger silos to save what I have in case there's another rainy day or in case there's another famine. And that is not what God has called us to do. What God has called us to do is to be a resource, a channel, a, a spring, if you will, to give away what God, and if we will give it away, God will give us more. I see God leading us to go, and, and like a flame, we're on fire, and we get to go to different places and deposit that flame. As long as you are on fire, it doesn't matter how much you give away, you're always going to be on fire. If you're not willing to give it away, that's when you die. If you don't feed the fire, what happens to the fire? But if you're willing to go somewhere else and allow others to get on the fire, not only will you continue your existence, but they're going to have an existence as well. I'm making sense to you. We must learn how to steward the breakthrough that God is giving us well. We're about to enter into a season of prosperity. If you look, now, when I say prosperity, I'm, I'm, not, just, I'm not talking about the country, although that may happen. I'm talking about where there is a breakthrough, where there is a move of God. I'm talking about uh, there's a spiritual abundance about to be poured out on us. But it will also manifest in a lot of different ways, okay? So as I said before, the biggest struggle the church has had is not during times of famine. The biggest struggle the church has had has been during times of prosperity. And if you don't believe me, if you were to go to Revelations chapter 3, verse 20, I don't have that in the notes, but Revelations 3, verse 20, there is a church by the name of Laodicea, right? And what was happening with Laodiceans? Um, we'll start in verse uh, 14. The angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Why are they saying that? Because they're prospering. On the outside... Lots of good things are happening. God had moved. God was blessing. They're prospering. What, what happens when you prosper and you don't continue to do the things that got you there? It's like, it's like uh, if you struggle with your sugars. And, you know, I don't want to be on, 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 I don't want to struggle with my sugars. So you go on a diet, you take medication, you do what you got to do, and then your sugars come down, and you say, well, I don't have to do this no more. Now I can eat whatever I want. Now I don't have to take the medication. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do any of that. And what happens as soon as you stop doing what got you there? Right? And it's the same with the church. When we start prospering, all of a sudden we stop praying. There's too much work to do to pray. We stop loving. Why? Because everybody, all these people coming in, they're taking my chair. They're taking my spot. They're taking my parking place. They're doing this. All the donuts are gone. I'm going to have to drink some of that Maxwell House. I'm going to get some of the good stuff because somebody drank it all. <laughs> well, guess what we have to believe God for? 
we get to believe God for multiplication. The last shall be, and the first shall be last. But see, God said, you say you're this, but you do not know that spiritually you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So what did they not do well? They didn't steward prosperity well. And so what immediately we want to do is we want to say, well, I don't want prosperity because I, I, I don't want to fall into that trap. But that's not the will of God. The will of God is to bless us, is to prosper us. So what is our job? To learn how to steward prosperity well. And we need one another. I, I need help. My, my cry is, Lord, I don't want to fail. I don't want to fall. I don't, I don't want to succumb to all the different things that people succumb to. I don't want to succumb to the temptations of fame or, or, or money or, or, you know, whatever else is laid before. I don't want that. And so immediately we say, no, Lord, but that's not the answer. That's not what God wants. What God wants us to say is say, Lord, I want what you want for us, but I want to be able to steward it well. I want to be able to navigate whatever you bring our way. I want to be able to navigate it well because the, this, not only does the church need this, the community needs this. The city needs this. The church, it's, it's going to, listen, the time is, is ending where the church is always uh, uh, trying to get from the world. The world is going to experience the abundance of the church. But we have to have a change of mind, right? So we, we must learn how to steward the breakthrough that God has given us well. We must share our victories with everyone that they may also experience the blessings of God's breakthrough in and through us for themselves. We've got to have a mindset to give. Give, and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. With the measure you use, God will measure that same thing back to you. Amen.